from Hollywood is rated LGBT Radio, starring your host, Rob Watson! Well, hello, 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 and welcome to Rated LGBT Radio, and I am your host, Rob Watson. Um, We are sitting here and um, we're taping this broadcast uh, just following Election Day um, 2020, um, the bizarre year of all time, and probably one of the most bizarre elections of all time. Um, And if you're listening to this uh, later in the future, we still don't know exactly how this is panning out. Um, but we're going to find out shortly. We did decide today, though, to kind of um, move this up, uh, the conversation up out of the election. Uh, If you're listening to this today and, you know, looking for, you know, kind of the latest update on election results, um, you're going to have to look somewhere else because we're not going to be providing them. We are going to be talking about a bigger future and a better future, and we are talking to someone who is our future, and more importantly, she is her generation's future. Today, our special guest star is Sarah Goody. She is a 15-year-old climate activist. She has gotten enormous recognition and done outstanding things. She's been recognized by Prince William and Prince Harry with the Diana Award, and that award um, is given to... Uh, people who who have made huge, huge differences. And at 15, she is just beginning to to start making a huge difference in the world and uh, for her generation. And uh, we're going to get her feedback on what is happening today and where she would like to take us in the future. But uh, before we bring her on, I want to welcome my esteemed Co-host Brody Leck. Brody, welcome to the show. Okay. Good afternoon, Rob. Good afternoon to our listeners. Well, good morning or whatever time of day that you're listening uh, to us on your podcast, and we sincerely appreciate your patronage. So yeah, yeah. So we. So we, Brody, I, I, I said we weren't going to go into a lot of election results, but give us a heads mm-hmm. up on the incredible gains that LGBTQ. Um, community members have made in taking office around the country. Oh, wow. It it has been, you know, seriously amazing. As a matter of fact, uh, as you know, I'm the editor at large of the Los Angeles Blade newspaper in L.A. I literally just uh, put a story up that California Assemblymember Todd Gloria Uh, won his race to be mayor of the city of San Diego. And that's significant because Assemblymember Gloria is gay. And this is historic because he'll become the first openly out LGBTQ person elected city and person of color. He is Latinx. Um, Our dear friend, Sarah McBride, who um, I am just absolutely enthralled with. Uh, Congratulations to now Senator Sarah McBride. She won her seat uh, in the Delaware Senate. So just massive hats off to hats off to uh, her uh, across the United and, States. Well, wait, before, before you move on, I, I do want to yeah. recommend to our listeners 
that um, go ahead and look in back in our archive not too long ago, and we have an exclusive show with Sarah on Radio LGBT Radio. So listen back, and you'll hear why she's outstanding, and uh, and definitely kudos to her to her historic win. Um, I want to give a shout out uh, to the Victory Fund uh, and uh, former Houston Mayor. Anise Parker, who is the CEO of the Victory Fund. Uh, thank you, Madam Mayor, because your crew did an, just an amazing job on election night. 160 LGBTQ candidates were endorsed by the Victory Fund. Won their elections. We still have 95 more to go. Uh, legislative candidates. It was incredible, as I just indicated, with uh, Sarah's win. Uh, it, it was a. It was just an amazing night for us. We picked up two U.S. house seats in New York State, uh, openly gay, African, uh, Latinx uh, gentlemen who will now represent uh, two different congressional districts uh, in the U.S. House. Uh, I, it just it was an amazing, amazing uh, run uh, across the slate. Um, I think the thing that was probably the most important is that despite what was going on in uh, other places, uh, especially with the presidential uh, race and some of the Senate races, um, we did really well, you know, surprisingly enough, Um, you know, and and we're probably not going to go into, you know, a lot of it, but um, it, it was just for us overall, um, a really, really good night. We did have some uh, defeats, as you know, uh, but across the board, uh, yeah, we didn't do too bad. Yeah, and one significant one was the one we talked about on our show last week in Nevada. I do believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the initiative to remove one man, one woman off the Constitution of the Nevada State um, Constitution um, yes. What was enacted that um, that was removed, and mm-hmm. um, r- regardless of whatever would happen in the future, um, marriage equality is enshrined in Nevada in its constitution. That is correct. Voters approved Amendment Two. So yes, I. That's uh, and it was another gain for us. Um, you know, I, I think overall um, it it was a good thing. Uh, the only thing that you know, of course, the waiting is for the results. Uh, the U.S. House at this point is going to stay in Democratic control. The Senate right now is up for grabs. Uh, it's hinging on two separate races. So that may change. And, of course, there's the ongoing in a presidential race, although it does look uh, as though the Democratic uh, nominee, former Vice President Joe Biden, and his running mate, Senator Kamala Harris of California, will likely be the incoming administration. But, again, it's up in the air and we don't know. Right. And of course, if that happens, um, what that will also affect the Senate slightly in that um, a, a tie vote would now be broken by Kamal Harris instead of Correct. Mike Pence. So, well, the, so, and then the thing know, that should it, be noted before we bring Sarah on is, and I'm sure she's going to want to talk about this, but um, on Monday, Mark the final withdrawal from the Paris uh, Climate Accord uh, by the United States. And as you know, uh, that was an initiative by this White House that's currently in power. 
so that was an unfortunate footnote as we went into election eve. Right, right. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot going on, and in the next few days, that that uh, uh, for people who are listening to this uh, podcast, even a week from now, um, we'll we'll have more information on. So. Um, it, the world is ever, ever changing. Um, Brody, before we bring Sarah on, um, why mm-hmm. don't you give a little um, thoughts on this young woman and what she's accomplished? I, I think what's amazing to me is that, and it, it is just this generation, and, and I'm just so incredibly enthralled with them. Uh, we've had a couple on the show, uh, Keenan, the homeless advocate from San Diego. And of course we've had uh, some of the folks that uh, came about as a result of, you know, the horrific uh, tragedy in Parkland, Florida. Brandon came on and talked about um, Emma and Ryan and David, David's sister, and and many of the kids from uh, the March for Our Lives, which I'm so honored to have interviewed and spoken to. Uh, Greta, of course, Sarah's direct counterpart, uh, the activist from uh, the climate activist uh, from Sweden, who is, you know, I think maybe not even a year older than Sarah. Um, it's just to see Sarah be recognized. And, and for me, it's a particularly kind of a, a kind of a warm spot. As I told Sarah's publicist uh, when we were having conversations about booking her on the show, because uh, not only have I met the Duke of Sussex, but uh, and I've also uh, met the uh, Duke and Duchess of Cambridge, but uh, Harry and I've actually talked about these things because uh, I had interviewed him quite a few times uh, over the course of from Afghanistan into the Abedicus Games and some other things. And, uh, you know, for, uh, for both Harry and his brother, the Duke of Cambridge, uh, you know, their mother's legacy, particularly in this area, uh, of, of being proactively engaged in the community of man is a big thing. I had interviewed Princess Diana in Africa uh, during uh, her uh, charity work to get rid of landmines uh, because a worldwide ban on landmines uh, would stop a lot of carnage after the fact. Most people probably don't think about it, but when a war ends, you know, the implements of death and destruction in many cases remain, you know, behind. And there was numerous instances of people being maimed and killed by these things. And Diana was an absolute on that. And and the princess, I think, instilled in both of her boys, um, you know, this this type of service. Um, To see, I'm not surprised to see uh, Harry and and his brother and and the charity scheme you know, endorse uh, Sarah. It just makes, you know, perfect sense to me. Um, I, I think that, you know, but she's she's really a symbol of a generation that is absolutely not just sitting placidly by not doing anything. It, I, I'll, as I told her publicist, Sarah's generation of peers got on TikTok and they shut down a Donald Trump rally, okay, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, which needless to say annoyed the hell out of Trump. But that was them. That was a bunch of 15, 16, 17, right. 18 year olds that did that. So these kids are a force to be reckoned with. Um, and it's such an incredible honor to be able to talk to them and, and to be able to see the work they do. 
Well, with that, let's let's uh, let the honor begin, and uh, we will welcome Sarah to the show. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, our thrilling to have you. How does it feel? Uh, it must be somewhat frustrating um, to be somebody so involved as you are, and to not have had the ability to actively vote yourself in this most recent election that is actually going to be forming your future. How, how did that feel? This election ultimately defines what my future will look like, what my children's future will look like. It is a combination of everything that I've ever cared about being put, you know, on a pedestal and uh, being decided on this election day and this election week and in this general 2020 election. And it's very frustrating not to have that greater say, not to be able to put in my opinion, put in my vote. I'm an American. So, you know, why can't I, I speak up? Why can't I play a role in this election that's ultimately defining my life and defining my generation's future. So it's been, you know, a frustrating concept there, but then also just working so hard to motivate the people who are in power to vote and who do have, that opportunity to use their vote for change and to remember that you may be one person, but you have the power to change the world. Every vote matters. Every vote counts. And every single young person counts in this election, too, whether that means they're you know, speaking with a family member, speaking with a friend, uh, going out and working at the polls. I have a bunch of friends who were out all day yesterday at the polls, uh, helping and registering voters and just the absolute power that this generation has, even in something that they technically can't influence, is so amazing. And I'm so proud of my generation and of the young people who, despite the obstacles that we're facing, not being able to vote, have put their whole lives and put their whole souls into making sure that the outcome of this election reflects the needs and the desires of Gen Z. No, excellent. And I think you are influencing it by, to your point, it's like well, the fact that you don't physically get to cast your individual ballot, but your and your compatriots' activism and behavior and actions and voices are being heard and, and are having an impact. Um, is it daunting, the fact that, this election was so close. I mean, it's for those of us who voted um, for progress and voted for science um, and voted for, um, you know, change to be made to see that it isn't overwhelming, to see that there is still a 50% or, or actually a good deal less but um, still a sizable number of people in this country that are just not getting it. What, what are your thoughts on, on that and reaching them? Mm, it's, it's terrifying that our nation is so divided and on an issue that to me, and I think to a lot of youth activists seems so obvious and seems so clear. I grew up in California in a very progressive state, a very progressive town so I didn't grow up with that opposition. I didn't grow up seeing the other side of the spectrum, seeing people who didn't believe in science or who weren't given the opportunities to have access to 
the accurate information and who were growing up in a situation where their family members and their culture was really defining their viewpoint on the world and on our country and government. And I think when interacting with those people and when tackling those issues, it's bringing attention to the truth, bringing attention to the reality um, but doing so in a way where we're not blaming anyone, where we're not putting um, putting people down for what they've been taught and what they've been told throughout their life and working together to find commonalities, find common interests, and seeing how we can define those common interests and use what we have in common to elect a candidate who will represent what we all need as Americans and as individuals. Yeah, no, very well said. And I have to be honest with you, I have because I've got a lot of questions for you on the subjects at hand, um, which and you are so well spoken. I just I kind of just want to keep going on those, but to stop for a minute and just appreciate you and how articulate, intelligent, and forceful you are at such a young age. How did you get started? How did this? you get this inspiration that instead of playing more video games and, you know, doing stuff that, that other kids might be distracted with, you decided to put your efforts in this direction. In sixth grade, my science teacher presented a unit on climate change and what that meant for me, for my community and for my future. And it was the first time that I saw my future, that I saw how a social justice issue was going to directly impact every single thing I cared about, from being able to go to the ocean, to go swim in the water, to I'm a huge animal person, so seeing that all of the species that I read in picture books when I was growing up, those were going to be extinct. Thinking about my favorite movies as a kid, Finding Nemo, how our ocean would never look the same again, and I made those connections and realized just how big of an issue it was. And I felt lied to like my whole life. I had been told that everything is okay, that we're all in a good spot, that we should leave everything to adults because adults are the leaders of our country. Adults can vote, adults can work. And therefore as kids, all we should worry about is having what I think a lot of people told me was, you know, a happy childhood, being a child and making the best of childhood before you had to, you know, be face-to-face with adult life and with reality. And growing up and seeing those connections in that sixth-grade science class, I realized, well, I can't just sit back and watch this happen. I am done with being lied to and being treated like I am inferior and like I am not capable of understanding this and of taking action. And I'm going to go do something. And from there, I started to do something. I started to learn more about this issue. And I realized, why haven't I learned about this before? And why am I not learning about this in all my classes all the time? Why is this not the forefront of my education, understanding social justice and the issues that are impacting my life and my generation? And from there, I started to learn more about what climate change is. And I started to get empowered reflecting on other youth activists who were making progress. At the time, Greta Thunberg was starting to come up. Her name was starting to arise. And I just felt so empowered and so motivated to make a change. No, that's wonderful and and fantastic <laughs> and, and, and impressive. Uh, the one, one question I have, 
is for a lot of older people, there was a film, which I'm sure you're very familiar with, that Al Gore made called An Inconvenient Truth about um, Mm -hmm. climate change. And that title actually says a lot, in my opinion, about why the obvious is not having as big of an impact as it really needs to, in that for a lot of older people, and by older, I mean older than you. I'm talking about some millennials and, and um, you know, uh, other people, is that it is just more convenient to deny this stuff is going on rather than make the necessary sacrifices um, that, that are being taken. Um, what, what is your message to people who need to be shaken out of that? Mm-hmm. Well, it's more convenient to do so many things. Look as you're walking on the street and you pass a piece of trash. Well, it's a lot more convenient just to keep going on with your day, just to keep uh, that drive, to keep hustling and forget about that trash. With voting, it's so much more convenient just to not worry about this election, to tune out the news, to tune out everything, immerse yourself in a virtual world, in your family, in uh, TV or in Netflix or video games than to go out and vote. It's so much easier to pass a homeless person on the street uh, while they're waiting and saying, hey, I need help. Hey, I need help. Uh, Do you have any food you can spare? Do you have change you can spare? It's so much easier to just pass them by than to stop and talk to them or to donate your time or a bit of money to help them. And I think that stands for climate change, but on such a bigger level, because this climate crisis is an issue of life or death, and therefore it encompasses every single thing in our life, from the food that we eat to the things that we purchase to the education we have to the way that we get around, our transportation to travel. Everything we do has to do with our climate and with our environment and the ways that we are impacting increasing carbon emissions. So, of course, it's more convenient to just ignore this problem, to say, hey, someone else will take care of it. That's going to happen 50 years from now, 100 years from now. That's not going to impact me. But that doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. That doesn't mean that it's right to just pass that person on the street, that it's right to just forget about that piece of trash or to not vote in this election. And I think we need to separate right and what the best thing to do for humanity is and what is the most convenient and the easiest thing for us to do. Absolutely. And now you, in part of your activity, Brody, did you want to chime in? Sorry. I, I, you know, I, <laughs> Oh, Brody, did you want to say something? <laughs> Actually, to be truthful, um, in, in in August, Sarah sat down with um, my colleague and friend Lester Holt from NBC News, and it was uh, in honor of World Humanitarian Day. And uh, she spoke with Lester about the importance uh, of you know youth activism and climate change. Essentially, uh, I'm not going to resummarize what she just said. Uh, Sarah, first of all, personally, uh, mahalo with much aloha. Okay. Um, <laughs> you're rather formidable. Um, I, I, you know, it, being a political reporter, the first thing that crossed my mind was, I would not want to cross her at a press conference. 
I would. I would want her. I would give her the mic and say, you know, everybody else just shut up. And well, like, no, that's it. I would. I, my my advice to my colleagues is, don't ask any stupid questions. <laughs> <laughs> that's not going to end well for us. Not her. <laughs> um, Sarah. Uh, when when you look at your world and and you you look at the world globally, it's relatively obvious. Um, what do you see is probably the most important contribution that you feel you know you're making, not made or make, but are making because your generation is very much proactively engaged in a lot of things. But but in addition to climate, and again, I'm referencing back to the conversation. Uh, you had with Lester. So what, what do you think is probably one of the things that you would like to, like, say, highlight right here for Rob and I? Changing the culture. We are changing what young people are known for. We are showing the world that you don't have to be 18. You don't have to be an adult to make a difference, to have an influence and a direct um, impact on our planet that no matter your age, no matter your identity, whoever you are, where you come from, your background, you as an individual have the power to change the world. And we've seen this in so many movements that have been led by young people across the country from the LGBT movement to the racial equality movement to the climate justice movement to the animal rights movement. We have seen young people standing up for what is right, standing up for their future in despite adversity, despite the challenges that we are facing. We are changing the attitude of who young people are and of what we can do. Yes, and one of the things I wanted to ask you about that you did specifically was found an organization called Climate Now. Um, tell us about that. Climate Now is a youth-led organization focused on empowering young people to take climate action and educating young people about climate change and about why they should be working towards a sustainable and a just future. And, and what is uh, what is the activity that Climate Now does? And is that um, you also are involved in leading um, a huge number of people in uh, climate strikes in San Francisco? Um, tell us about what that is and, and how you started that. Mm-hmm. Well, Climate Now is engaging people in the climate movement through our school programs through reaching out and speaking at different schools. We have a group of members who go out and talk to schools in their areas, speaking to children about climate change, being that person who was my sixth grade teacher and planting that seed in their head. We have a group of school clubs that are working together to fight for sustainability and fight for justice in their schools. And then we are currently working on a new program that teachers can sign up to receive monthly newsletters and monthly emails with a video produced by a member of Climate Now. And this video will detail a specific action that a young person can take. Maybe it's plant-based eating or talking to a friend about climate change. Maybe it's unplugging your devices whenever they're not in use so that teachers can start showing uh, their students 
the actions that they can take because education is power. And the more that we have education in our country, the more young people that are ignited and empowered, the bigger the movement will be and the more that it will grow. And then in reference to climate striking, that journey really began in 2019 when I was sent out to New York to meet uh, Alexandria Villasenor and to lead a summit for New York public students. And this was, again, around the time that Greta Thunberg was really kicking off, and Alexandria was one of the first youth to bring the Fridays for Future movement to the United States. And I striked with her for her 18th week striking outside the United Nations and was so inspired by this effort by the Fridays for Future movement and decided to bring that back to my hometown and to my community of the San Francisco Bay Area. And as of now, I'm on week, I want to say 65 of my climate strike. And due to the pandemic, that's been, you know, digital for the past few months, but before then was striking outside of the San Francisco Ferry Building and San Francisco City Hall, and then with different groups of senior citizens and young people around my community. And what, what does the strike consist of? When you say climate strike, what, what, what exactly is that? Usually a strike is a walkout of some sort. What, what, mm-hmm. what, how, is that, how is your strike implemented? Our strike is striking schools, or at least it was for me for the first year. I, throughout eighth grade, I did not go to school on Fridays. I said, hey, I'm sorry, but I think that fighting for a future is a little bit more important than learning uh, the, the quadratic equation or then learning a certain aspect of history when we're just repeating it ourselves right now and we're making history. And I decided to that really my generation's future was more important than my own education and then my own middle school experience. And I started striking on Fridays and bringing attention to this global movement and to the need for climate action. And then as I got into high school, I had a meeting with my administration. I want to say the first week of my freshman year. And they said to me, hey, look, you are not going to graduate high school. You are not going to complete high school if you decide to strike every Friday. And I took that information in. My parents said, there is no way you are going to do this because you need to go to school. You need to do this. So I had to compromise a bit, and I decided to switch platforms to doing after-school strikes and then school strikes about once a month. And I found that it was a way that I could engage many more young people in the movement because many young people do not have the option and do not have the opportunity to just skip school. So it was a compromise that I had to make. I I, I think that's actually pretty charming. And as a parent listening to that, it was like, okay, yes, you may go change the world. You may go save the planet, but you still got to do your homework. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah. <laughs> that that is a reality. So sorry, but yes, here here you go. Um, you did mention something in passing, though, that is kind of near and dear to my heart. Um, talk to us a little bit about plant based eating. Well, our diet is one of the most influential parts of our lives that is impacting our environment. Greenhouse gases account for just 
a huge majority of global carbon emissions and we don't realize just how big of an impact they have and I think that's another point that you can reflect on our government and our society kind of lying to us because when I was younger I always thought that animals and that the chicken I was eating or the burger I had was you know happy it was safe it lived on this big ranch that you see on some of those you know uh, really popular brands that it was just happy cows and happy farms everything was all right and then in sixth grade around that time that I learned about climate change I was reading an article and came across this documentary called Cowspiracy and I watched the documentary and I went oh my god and I had this other kind of mind boggling experience that I had with climate change was realizing how my actions were impacting animals and how my actions were also impacting our climate. And I saw those two connections, how, I mean, I'm right now, I'm staying at an exotic animal sanctuary. So animals have always been such an incredible, huge part of my life because growing up, I wasn't always the normal child. I struggled with depression and with anxiety when I was in elementary school. And in those times, some of the only hope that I found was through animals and was through having a, you know, an ally, a best friend who didn't need to say anything to make me feel better. And I mean, I'm kind of switching contacts and switching conversations, but back to that point where I saw these two connections and I knew that I just I couldn't live with myself if I was directly fueling climate change and fueling the abuse of animals and, you know, abuse of a living thing. I just knew I couldn't go and look at a hamburger the same way ever again. Right. Well, that you've, you've, you are, are speaking my song. I, I have not eaten meat for a couple of years now. Um, and, um, uh, uh, I'll let I'll let Brody speak for himself on that one, but um, oh you know, yeah, yeah, no, I knew I was going to get pregnant. The minute you went there, it was like I am now ganged up on. I'm going to hear about this. Yeah, all right, um, Sarah, let's let's just briefly let's hit on another subject because I'm never going to. I, I made the un- yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I made the unfortunate observation we had a runner-up for American Idol on the show about a month ago, Louie Knight. Pleasant conversation, great. I was trying to make an analogy saying you're like an onion peeling back the layers. It didn't come out sounding too good. And Louie and Rob <laughs> immediately hopped on that at my expense. So I learned <laughs> well, but to be very at least careful. In that case, you were vegetarian. I mean, you did go yeah, well, okay, yeah, all right. So we want to switch for just a split second. Okay. Sarah, civil rights activist, a gay man and a pioneer, uh, along with Dr. Martin Luther King, once said, if we desire a society of peace, then we cannot achieve such a society through violence. And here I am, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at you, uh, well, figuratively speaking, uh, <laughs> and, I, and I'm looking at that quote, and I'm thinking, okay, and you used that quote. So I'm like, yeah, not only is she exceptionally well-read, but there's like a throw and throw with this. Um, switching just for a moment from vegetarianism, because I'm sure you and Rob will go back to it. But what, I, what I'd like to know is, you know, you're inspired by some of the most formidable uh, folks 
in, in, in many of these movements, including Baynard Rustin. Um, I, I'm just curious. I, you know, I could throw the name Baynard Rustin out uh, in a class of college students while I'm teaching journalism, and I, I may get out of 50 kids someone who may just slightly light up like a light bulb, and the rest of them go, huh, and reach for their phones to Google. Uh, how did you, How did? well, I mean, you know, how did you make the connection? Between the quote? Yeah, and you, and, and just making it work. I mean, it's just, it works. Mm-hmm. Well, there, we cannot achieve a equal, a just society if, we are in division. We're seeing it in our country right now, just what happens when we add violence into the picture with these riots and these hyper, uh, hyper-escalated situations where it just creates tension and it just creates a divide where there doesn't need to be any. We cannot achieve this better future, this better world, if we're constantly at edge with each other, if we're constantly fighting each other, we need to work together to find solutions. As I mentioned earlier, it's finding the things that we have in common and growing from there, going and building up from the things that we can agree upon. Because if we just choose to focus on violence, then how can we focus aspect of that? How can we focus on actually making change when we're worried about our own lives and we're worried about what's going to happen the next day in our own homes? I mean, I've just seen an insane amount of response over social media from both liberals and progressives about, you know, what's going to happen when the winner of this election is announced that, you know, one side of the spectrum is saying that there's going to be Trump supporters coming in and trying to take out members of the LGBT community, trying to take out uh, progressives. And people are, are literally scared for their lives. And I think that it just shows that we can't accomplish this better society. We can't accomplish um, justice if we're constantly worried about violence and we're constantly at edge with one another. Fair enough, Rob. Ver- yes, no, that's very fair, and and I hope people listen to that. Um, I want to kind of go back, and I know we we skirted off the eating thing, although I I, I strongly <laughs> believe in it, and not only not only in all seriousness, and, and well, I get on Brody's case all the time, and I won't air what he consumes that I would <laughs> advise differently, but um, it, it does, it, it does. It, like I said, I, I have not eaten meat for several years. And when I grocery shop, it's amazing to me walking through a grocery store, how much of the store is filled with things that are processed and packaged and, um, mm-hmm. and not healthy and uh, across the board. Um, and how much of that is contributing in just the industrialization of it is contributing to, you know, um, you know, uh, greenhouse gases and, and, and all the things that are affecting the planet. Um, what, what is your advice, Sarah, to people's lives on how can they make some changes that if enough people did it would have a huge effect? What, what, where would they start? in your opinion? Well, it's interesting because there's this attitude, and I think it goes with veganism and vegetarianism and plastic 
production and zero waste is that you can only do it if you do it 100%. You can only um, make a difference if you're eating vegetarian or eating vegan every single day. And that's just so not true. And that's what holds so many people back from actually changing their lives and making a difference, making an impact. You don't have to give up meat. You don't have to give up uh, plastic and plastic uh, things that are, you know, made with plastic or produced with plastic to still be living a more sustainable life. There is a way to do it where you're, you know, doing a little bit of both. Maybe that means that three out of five days a week or two out of five days a week you're going to try a plant-based meal or maybe it means you're going to do a completely zero-waste Uh, meal and zero waste day where you're not going to be using any plastic. You're not going to buy anything that's wrapped in plastic or made with plastic for one day out of every week. So there's ways to do it to make it seem less daunting than it might seem if you're going to say, okay, well, now I'm just going vegan for the rest of my life. And I think that's what stops so many people. So when thinking about that and when going into a grocery store, you don't have to only buy that one thing only by the sustainable thing but maybe if there's two different options if there's a bread that's packaged in plastic or if there's a uh, bread that's packaged in a paper material then maybe go with the paper material or if there's you know a dairy-free ice cream and a normal ice cream maybe just try the dairy-free ice cream for once so there's ways to do it without just completely switching to one side and you know, going back to that point that I think that is why so many people uh, feel afraid to really take these actions and to make those individual choices. Uh, you just made Brody much, much happier. So <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so um, I, I, want, I, want to, you, I want to give you the opportunity and I want you to address not – necessarily because we've been talking about the older generation and, you know, kind of justifying why a lot of um, people in, in that area are in denial or reluctant or resistant. But um, also there are people your age that have not woken up per se. Mm -hmm. Um, What is your message to your generation? Kids like yourself who haven't gotten a chance to vote, but quite frankly, wouldn't have voted even if they had the chance. Um, what mm-hmm. What do you want to say to them? Just take take a second to pause and think about your life and what impact that you have on our planet. Think about how your future is going to look. Maybe you're going to have kids. Maybe you're going to have grandchildren. How are those? people going to grow up? What is their life going to look like? And how are the actions that you take today going to influence them? Because I think people say that those people are just selfish, but the truth is that those people don't see those connections because I don't think people are truly selfish. I think people do care about others. People, I hope at least, I, I do choose to believe that people do care, that people do care about what they do with their life, what their children grow up with I mean if it's like when you talk about you know feminism and abortion well you have a sister do you have a mother do you have a best friend do you have a daughter do you have a grandmother there are so many ways to look at how 
climate change will impact your life and not only your life, but the people you love, the things that you care about. So draw those connections and realize that being a climate activist doesn't mean you have to dedicate your entire life to starting an organization or striking every Friday like I do. You don't have to be me to make a difference. You don't have to be Greta Thunberg to make a difference. Uh, So stop putting this spotlight on uh, just being an activist and instead just think about the ways that the people you love are going to be infected by this this climate crisis and then the ways the small ways that you can still be happy still have a life still do the things that you enjoy but do them in a way that's having a better impact on our future well well said brody i um look at a lot of things uh as a political reporter sarah and Obviously, you know, a lot of what you're pushing for, what you believe in, what you're advocating for, uh, and all of which, in my own personal estimation, is so much needed, particularly with the planet in the shape that it's in. And it's gotten to the point now where it's scary. What's your advice to these politicians uh, as we move forward, particularly in light of the fact, as I said at the top of the hour, with the United States now having completely withdrawn from the Paris Accord? Uh, what what does the American government, for that matter, what are the governments of the European Union and and even China, India, and mm-hmm. some of these other, you know, industrialized nations? What 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 is it that they really need to understand? It's just not politics. What's the core messaging mm-hmm. here that they've got to get that you want to tell them? Well, I mean, what is America? What are these ideals that we've based America off of? And that's life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And those are all being jeopardized by climate change. There's no way to get around it. Everything, everything that we've ever cared about is at risk due to climate change. And our government needs to put aside uh, power and economic wealth from doing what's best from society. Because doing what's best for society isn't giving subsidies to the oil and gas industry. It's not deciding to ignore climate change. It's fighting it head on and making it a public statement, making it well known around the world that the United States, and this can apply to any other country, is supporting uh, climate solutions, is taking on the role of, you know, advocating and pioneering for reducing greenhouse gas emissions and for working towards climate neutrality. Because we cannot do this if our government is not standing there, is not being the leader and being the powerhouse that is generating these solutions, that's working with scientists, that's working hand-in-hand with activists to find solutions and to reduce these carbon emissions. And I think how that's going to happen is by the people putting that pressure on our politicians, because we've seen in the past few years that our government is, isn't, I mean, this is my own personal opinion in many ways, isn't going to make those changes on its own. So we, as young people, we as Americans and as global citizens have to put that pressure on our government because who do they stand for? They don't stand for the oil and gas industry. They don't stand for Trump. They don't stand for, you know, the 1%. They stand for us. They stand for, you know, 
the middle working class. They stand for the people who are trying uh, every day to work and to create a better future and better society. And I think we need to remember that, you know, our government needs to reflect those ideals and what they do and they need to stand up for our rights and stand up for everything that we need as humans to survive and to be in this society. Let me quickly follow up. Greta, as you know, uh, gave a speech to uh, the UN uh, in which she literally addressed an entire room full of heads of state. (laughs) And she was, you know, she put it out there, basically, uh, shame on you all. Shame, shame, shame. And you can see the anger. Oh, yeah, she was pissed. There's there's literally no disguising that. Okay, (laughs) I'm going to put you, well, now, okay, I'm going to take Sarah Goody and I'm going to stick you behind that podium and I'm going to put you in front of that entire assembly of the world's leaders. What's your message to them now a year and a half, two years after the fact? And really, it looks like things haven't gotten any better. If nothing else, they've gotten worse. What would Sarah's message be to these heads of state? I mean, that's a tough question, but I think I just say that time is up and you are representing the people. So you need to represent our ideals. You need to represent what we as a society need to thrive. Everything ever known is at risk risk due to this climate crisis. And you have known that. You have known that for years. And you have not taken action. You, just as Greta Thunberg said, you, you know, you are really responsible for misleading the public and for misleading us into thinking that everything's okay when it really isn't. And you are responsible as the leaders of society, as the head of society for making those changes and for standing up for the general public, for, for our future and for what our society needs to grow and to thrive. Okay. I want to, yeah, I want to dial us back to, to kind of the, the home and, and a similar situation to like what, what you've experienced personally um, for kids who, who get it, who are like you, who are young, who can't vote, um, who, whose parents don't let them strike because they've got to finish high school. Um, how can they wake up the older generation? What, what, like Brody uh, pointed out at the beginning of the show, um, you know, a lot of young people um, use TikTok uh, to to disturb some stuff in, in the adult world um, to get some attention and and be let their their feelings on things known. How what would you like to see some of your your age people doing to um, wake us up? I I think just using the energy of what we are. We're teenagers. We're kids. We we can have fun. We are, you know, creative. We're innovative. And using that energy, using that positivity, that uh, enthusiasm to create those changes and to create our own platform to uh, work and unite to bring this youthful spirit to the social justice movements and as young people, I just like to see that increase and that continue because I think that it's made activism much more sustainable for so many people because 
now it's not just sending out emails. It's not just going out and protesting. It's having fun. It's connecting with people. And it's making relationships and working together to dismantle the truth. Excellent. Uh, I guess related to that, there are so many issues going on right now that, that we are waking up about from uh, Black Lives Matter to, um, you know, systemic racism, which is uh, obviously related to that, um, to climate change, to the health issues around the pandemic and trying to eradicate that particular short-term crisis. Um, How does this not get lost in the shuffle? It's remembering that climate change is an intersectional issue and everything that we're focusing on right now from the coronavirus pandemic to racial equality to, you know, just our government and how our government functions and who is the leader of um, our democracy. We have to remember that all those things connect back to our environment, to our planet, to our climate, because they're, is no COVID-19 if there is no humans. There is uh, no Black Lives Matter if we are stuck in a place where we can only think about the next step, about the next day and how we're going to survive from an attacking wildfire or from a hurricane. And it's connecting all those things together and putting those dots together and remembering that this issue will tackle each and every one of those issues. And I think we've also seen that being addressed through propositions like the Green New Deal, which is focusing on not only reaching climate neutrality and reducing carbon emissions, but uh, creating you know, safe, equitable jobs, creating a better economy, um, working for all people, not just you know, people who are white. And I think it's so important to address those things and to address those intersectionalities because that really ties the conversation back to this idea that we need a sustainable planet. We need a planet that can work for all humans. Yeah, I love what you just said. In fact, I'm picturing a meme or a poster that says, um, and just modifying what you said directly, but um, there is no COVID-19, there is no Black Lives Matter if there are no humans. I think that's absolutely <laughs> brilliant, and it oh, definitely puts true. it all in perspective. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it, you are you are beyond impressive. You are brilliant. You are wonderful. Um, I, I think uh, th- the world needs to be completely directed by you, um, and I believe in you <laughs> one thousand um, percent. And I, I hope you you take your power and you you bring it forth um, because you can only do good by what you're doing. Um, it, it is, is astounding. Um, so you, you would think I'm framing a question with that and I probably am. What, what for people who are listening to us right now, who um, you have woken up, what, how can they get involved? Who should they call? What should they join? Um, what should their next steps be? I think there's two paths for taking action, and one is individual, and one is community-based. And those individual actions is, you know, what we talked about a little bit earlier. It's reflecting on yourself and your carbon footprint and thinking, 
in what ways can I adjust my life to benefit our environment? And then it's taking those community-based actions, doing things like joining a protest or joining a youth-led organization and working with them. It could be something like just simply going out and talking to a person, uh, writing. I used to love to do this a few years ago. I would write all these messages with like sidewalk chalk on my street and everyone would see them. And I became like kind of the crazy cuckoo house, but um, <laughs> um, I just think it's, it, there are so many different paths for taking action. And it's important to remember that activism can be fun and I keep coming back to this because I think that there's this stereotype and there's this notation that activism um, is, you know, all this talk and it's all this fighting and protesting and working, but it can also be, look like so many other things. It could be, maybe you love to make art. So you could be making murals uh, with insightful, with climate messages or with other messages and ways that people you know, for example, for this past election, you know, the nearest polling place or how to register to vote. Maybe you're uh, an art, another form of artist. Maybe you love to dance. Maybe you can make a music video that inspires people to change their eating habits or their waste habits. It could be really anything. And I think that it's just important that we combine our passions and that we approach it from so many different aspects of, you know, life because that's how we engage other people and we make it not only a movement of climate but a movement of joy and of uh, excitement and that will bring in so many more people. You are so absolutely inspiring and we are out of time, which I can't (laughs) believe it, but we are. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for being you for everything you do. Um, like I said, and I don't mean this in a light way, you are absolutely brilliant. And, um, you. you know, we wish you nothing but not only the best, but more empowerment, more voice, more platforms. Um, you deserve it. And you have something very important to say and to do. And we are with you in solidarity completely. Um, Brody, I want to thank you for everything you mm-hmm. do and being on board here today. I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in each week. And please do download our podcast. Please share it with your friends. Please encourage them to subscribe. We are available on any platform where podcasts exist. Um, just do a search for Radio LGBT Radio, and there we are. And hit that subscribe button. We will be back again next week, same place, same time, um, same download, same everything with another um, exciting guest, although Sarah is one that I can't promise we will ever top again because, you know, that's just how brilliant it is. So, uh, but we will definitely do our effort to try. So uh, thank you all, and we will talk to you again soon. You've been listening to Rated LGBT Radio. 